Hi folks, this is Ron Longwell, and I'm glad you're here today for another episode of the Jesus Society Podcast, a conversation exploring relationship, renewal, and purpose in the kingdom of God. This is episode 55 um, of the Jesus Society Podcast, and today I want to um, talk about the subject of perfectionism in Christianity. And um, let me start with a sip of coffee as I jump into this. I need some coffee if I'm going to talk about this. It is, uh, it is good to have coffee first thing in the morning. <laughs> it just really is. Um, so many, many, many Christians... I think, have a view of Christianity that basically assumes that God expects perfection out of us and that he just absolutely can't stand imperfection. And since none of us are perfect, God really can't stand us and has to withdraw from us because we're so, you know, dirty and thus, the only way he can really deal with us and have fellowship with us is for us to become perfect. And we, and we can try to do that on our own, which isn't really working too well for us. And um, to help us kind of understand that, God gave us the law, right? The main purpose of which was to set the bar of perfection so high that we would come to realize the impossibility of trying to do it on our own effort and then finally, realizing that we can't do it on our own, God swooped in as Jesus, who actually did manage to live life perfectly, showing us all what that looked like, and then giving his life for us to redeem us uh, imperfect people so that we can now get to share in his perfection even while we're imperfect. M many Christians believe some version of that story. And I want to say that a lot of that is a gross misreading of Scripture. Now, um, it's not that there's not some truth in some of that, but I think we're focusing on all the wrong things if that's, if that's what we see. Now, what am I not saying here? I'm not saying... I'm not saying... Hear me now. I am not saying... I'm not saying that God doesn't care how we live or that morality and ethics aren't important to him. I'm not saying that, okay? So if you, hear, if you think you hear me saying something like that, yet that's not what I'm saying, okay? God cares about those things, all right? But we need to desperately re reclaim a biblical picture of what God what God, how God views us and what he really expects, okay? And maybe even as important as that is how, we, how he deals with us when we don't measure up, okay? And so that's what I want to try to tackle a little bit um, today. I want to start that conversation by by pointing out that the the, the works-based legal code framework through which we've come to view scripture and, and that is how we that is how we tend to view scripture 
for, for an awful lot of us in, in the West anyway, the Bible is kind of a, a legal code. It, it lays out God's expectations um, for, for how we're to live, all right? And it's very much like the penal code in, in America, right? We, we view Scripture that way. What I want to say is that 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 view, that framework through which we view Scripture, largely did not exist in Christianity prior to the Reformation. Okay, I'm not saying that there was nobody before that 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 kind of thought of it that way, but largely, that's a that's a framework which we acquired in the in the Reformation. Now, so if you're not familiar with the Reformation. We're talking about the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century, and in the in the Reformation, the reformers, uh, the most famous of whom was Martin Luther, um, not Martin Luther King, by the way, he didn't live in the 16th century. Martin Luther was he was a Catholic priest, and he um, came to realize some of the dysfunctions and. Um, really awful stuff, corruption that existed within the Catholicism of his time. And he protested th that corruption. And there were some really good things that came out of that um, protestation, okay? Um, that's why we call them Protestants, okay? Because they were protesters. Uh, and there were some good things that came out of the Reformation, um, such as a renewed reliance on Scripture. Uh, that's a good thing. But the Protestant Reformation was not perfect either. And the Reformation introduced some things into our thinking, particularly for the great majority of Christians who are today part of denominations that flow out of the Protestant Reformation, which is basically everybody that's not Catholic. Um, there were some things that, that, that were introduced into our thinking that have caused some real and lasting problems for modern Christianity. And, and basically what happened there is that Luther, in, in doing battle with the Catholicism of his day and the papacy, he tended to, to read back into Scripture those battles that he was fighting with, with Catholicism of his day. So that in his mind, when Paul, when he, read, when he would read Paul, most notably in the book of Romans or, or, or in Galatians, when he saw Paul doing battle with what the group of people that we sometimes call Judaizers, um, again, particularly in Romans and Galatians, what, what Luther read those texts and basically saw that well, Paul's battle in the, was battling the same thing then that I'm battling today. Um, now, Luther was right to battle those things in the Catholicism of his day, okay? He was right. Um, there, was, there was a lot of messed up junk in 16th century Catholicism. And, and Luther was right to call that out and to do battle with them and try to fix some of that stuff. But I and a great many others uh, today contend that Luther grossly misread Paul. Okay? The things that Luther was battling against in his day were not at all what Paul was battling, okay? The Jews of Jesus' day, and, and uh, to, just to illustrate that maybe, 
a lot of us think that Paul was battling legalism. Primarily, that was his big struggle, was legalism. Paul was a proponent of grace, and the Judaizers um, that he was battling, particularly in Romans and Galatians, they were just trying to be legalists. They thought they were earning their way to heaven. That's the way we think about those two books and what's going on there. Um, in truth, that's not what Paul was battling at all. And, and it would take a, a lot of, it would take more than just this one podcast to flesh out fully what, what was going on in each of those books, because it wasn't exactly the same. But the truth is that the Jews in Jesus' day, despite how many of us tend to view them, were not at all trying to earn their way into heaven by keeping the law. That's just not the way they thought about things at all. Uh, in fact, the, the very question of um, how do I make myself right with God and go to heaven, that would have seemed to most Jews in Jesus' day to be a very odd question to ask. Um, they just they didn't think in those terms. For them, they were already in God's favor by virtue of the fact that they were Jews. Um, God chose them collectively. They didn't really think about individual salvation at all. They thought about collective salvation, and to the extent that they even thought about salvation. Um, they were God's elect because they were Jews. God chose the Jews. They were God's chosen people. We, we talked about that uh, last week, I believe. And for them, law-keeping wasn't, wasn't something you do to get into God's good favor. Law-keeping was a matter of covenant obligation. We are in covenant relationship with God, and there are terms to the covenant. Right? This is what we, what we all agreed to um, as the people of God, right? So in other words, they kept Torah, the law, because they were in the covenant, not as a means to get into the covenant, okay? So that, that's an important distinction, all right? So, so Martin Luther really misread that. The, the part of the point here is that God never thought any of us were perfect. God never really thought that we were going to ever be perfect, okay? I don't think he expects us to be. And again, it's not that God doesn't care, all right? God cares. God cares more than we do, in fact, which is part of the problem. But the great human problem that God is so keen on fixing is not our imperfection. It is our persistent willingness to surrender ourselves to idolatry, to, to forsake our status as his children and our, our role as co-regents in his good world and to surrender our power to the forces of darkness who then wreak havoc through us throughout God's good world. Okay, We then become slaves of the powers and tools through whom those powers bring chaos and destruction into the world. And that is not how God created us. That is not how he wants us to function in this world. We, he wants us to function as people who bear his image before the world and sow, S-O-W, sow healing and love and peace throughout the world. That is the problem that God is working on, on fixing. And yes, we need forgiveness because we've sinned. 
with that in mind, how does God view us, really? And to begin to, to answer that, uh, let's look at a, an interesting passage in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. I want to start there. So in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, we're told about a, a married couple named Zechariah and Elizabeth. Uh, if you've read the Gospels, you'll know who they are. Um, they are the parents of who we will know as John the Baptist, okay? And, and Luke says this about Zechariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And, and listen how he describes them. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. Now, did you catch that? Zechariah and, and Elizabeth were living without blame with regards to the commandments and requirements of the Lord. In other words, they were blameless. Well, now, wait just a darn minute. How can that be? Are, are we to understand then that, they, that Zechariah and Elizabeth were sinless? Well, of course not. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Paul says. And, of course, the Old Testament echoes that as well. Okay, that's not just something the, the New Testament says. Solomon said pretty much the same thing back in Ecclesiastes 7.20 when he said that there is certainly no one righteous on the earth who does good and never sins. Okay? So, so if we believe that, and I do, clearly Zechariah and Elizabeth were not sinless. They must have been fraught with the, with the problem of sin just the same way you and I are. Okay? They weren't sinless. And yet, Scripture calls them blameless. So what do we do with that? How do we make sense of that? Well, clearly, blameless doesn't mean sinless. Clearly, it's somehow possible to be blameless while still being fraught with sin. Okay? So, is there anywhere else we can go in Scripture to kind of try to help us flesh this out and figure this out? Yes, indeed. But first, I want to look at a few other people that the Bible talks about, and we're going to take this chronologically. And we're going to start with Noah, all the way back in Genesis 6. In Genesis 6, 9, we're told that Noah was a righteous man, blameless among his contemporaries. And it says, Noah walked with God. So there's our word again, blameless. And notice, we're, we're given just a little bit of a commentary here on Noah, and we're told that Noah walked with God. Okay, so hang on to that. Um, so again, we, we can't understand the idea of being blameless to mean that Noah was perfect. All right? Read Genesis 9. Noah was a drunk. Well, maybe he wasn't actually a drunk, but fresh off the ark, the first thing he did, one of the first things he did was to get drunk, and some, some junk came from that, which we won't get into now. You can read that, Genesis 9. But that's at least enough information for us to understand Noah was not a perfect guy. 
And yet, God called him blameless. So let's move on a little bit. Um, let's look at Abraham. In Genesis, Genesis 17, verse 1, God said to 99-year-old Abraham, I am God Almighty. Live in my presence and be blameless. So what is God calling Abraham to there? Is he, is he, is he saying, should we read that as God saying, okay, Abraham, Let's, let's get on with the program here. Live in my presence and be sinless. Perfect. Flawless. I don't think that's what God was saying. In fact, God called all his people to be blameless, according to Deut- Deuteronomy 18, verse 13. Again, blameless doesn't mean sinless. Later on, Scripture says of Job that he was a man of complete integrity who feared God and turned away from evil. Now, that doesn't use the word blameless, but I think the idea is there. But again, is God calling Job sinless? Hardly. But I think God would call Job blameless. So, what does it mean to be blameless in Scripture? I see it as a, as a very similar thing, if not an exact thing, to the phrase that John will use in the book of 1 John. He will talk about uh, walking in the light in 1 John 1, 7. And, and I want to I read that to you. John says that if we walk in the light as he, talking about God the Father, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. This is a really important verse. Now, and and follow me here carefully. In the context there, what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, what it cannot mean, what it absolutely, unequivocally cannot mean is walking sinlessly. Now, how do we know that? Because, again, the verse says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. In the the act of walking in, in the light, the blood of Jesus is cleansing us from sin. So, if, if walking in the light meant sinlessness, there really wouldn't be any sin for the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from, right? Like the, the, the verse wouldn't make any sense if it meant sinlessness. So, so in that verse, walking in the light means walking in the light of God. It is, it's talking about where we walk, not how we walk. It's talking about in whose light we walk, not how perfectly we do it. You see, that's what it means to be blameless. And so in that light, no no pun intended, we can read David who says back in Psalm 26 verses 1 through 3, he says this, he says, vindicate me, O Lord. Okay, now this is something you ask God when you know you've got a sin problem, right? Vindicate me, O Lord, because... I have lived with integrity 
and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Now, again, David's not claiming to be sinless here. But he's, he is claiming, I have walked in your light, right? He says, I've lived with integrity. I've trusted in the Lord without wavering. And then he says to the Lord, test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and my mind, for your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. All right, this is describing a guy who, who I'd say is walking in the light, a guy who's keeping his eye on God. He's trying to pattern his life after God. He's trying to live with integrity. He's doing his best to trust God. Certainly not doing that perfectly. But again, he, he asks God to test him, try him, examine his heart and mind. This is a guy with an engaged relationship with his God. And just so we understand, make no mistake here, God, or sorry, David was far from perfect, right? Um, David had a righteous man killed so that he could sleep with his wife for heaven's sake. Uh, read 2 Samuel 11 to get that story. Goodness gracious. And God's going to punish him for that. And he's going to forgive him for that. And, and, and even David's trust in God was not 100% flawless all the time, right? You, you can see that all through his life. David was a man a lot like us with, with clay feet, a guy who in, who in his better moments trusted God and showed his kindness to others, um, as we read in 2 Samuel 9, 3. But he was a guy who in his worst moments wandered pretty far off the trail. And yet, God called David a man after my own heart. 1 Samuel 13, 14, uh, repeated in Acts 13, 22. A man after my own heart, God calls him. Clearly, God knows how to deal with imperfection. So the, the, the point of all this here, the thing I want you to understand, the thing I want you to wrap your heart and your mind around, and the thing that I hope gives you a little bit of a little bit of peace. I, I, I want what I, what I want here, here's what I want. I want you to stop thinking about God as this guy who's stern-faced watching every move you make and jotting down your every failure and just shaking his head at you. Because a lot of you have that view of God. And I, and I want, if, if I have any ability to do so, I want to absolve you of that. And again, not saying that sin isn't an important deal. Not saying God doesn't care, okay? But I want you to understand that God understands us. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. And he doesn't turn his back on us when we aren't. Remember, in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, right after Adam and Eve sinned, when they, when they hear God walking around in the garden and they hunker down in the bush and is hiding from him in shame, it says that God calls out to them 
Now understand what that means. God's not ignorant of what they did. He, he knew, right? But God's searching for them. He has not turned his back on them. We, we say that sometimes. We, we hear Jesus crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me in the old King James? And we've, we've built up this idea that that indicates, and, and we've got another verse in the, in the Old Testament that says God cannot stand to look on evil, right? And, and we've built up this idea then that every time we sin, God just turns his back on us. We're, we're misreading some things and we're not, we're, like we're building a whole theology out of a couple of verses there and not taking into account a whole bunch of other stuff. We, we do that a lot. We've got a, that's an interpretive flaw on our part, an exegetical flaw. God doesn't do that. He doesn't turn his back on us when we sin. Because, and, and, and here's the thing, again, God understands us. The psalmist tells us that. In Psalm 103, verse 14, he says, God knows what we're made of and remembers that we're just dust. The Hebrew writer says it this way in Hebrews 4, 15 and 16. He says, we don't have a high priest, talking about Jesus, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. He did it without sin. We don't. But he understands what it means to be tempted. And he's gracious to us. And he goes on to say, the Hebrew writer, and this this is the grand, beautiful truth about all this, okay? He says, again, he says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. We've got one who's been tempted just the same way we have. Therefore, he says, because God so understands us and so wants to be in a relationship with us, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That, folks, is the God we serve. The God who is reaching out to us, who, who doesn't turn his back on us, who is, who is desperate for us to turn to him and is so willing to receive us. And just like Israel, we try to do better, not because we, th we think we can somehow earn his favor or his forgiveness. We're never going to be good enough for that. No, we try to do better because he loves us just as we are. He knows who we are and he loves us anyway. And that, folks, that is the kind of God that we serve. That is the kind of God who sent his son to fix all this for us. That is the kind of God who loves us and gave himself for us. That's the kind of God scripture talks about. And that's the kind of God we need to believe in. And with that, I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you'll join us again next week. As always, we would appreciate if, you, if you'd tell others about the podcast. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes or Spotify, Stitcher, 
Amazon Music, wherever in the world you go. And I mean that wherever in the world you are, because there's loads of other platforms that, that exist all around the world where this podcast appears. Um, please visit our Facebook page for the Jesus Society podcast. Um, we've got a Facebook group as well. Check out our website, thejesussociety.com. And as we, I, as we continue to, to try to grow this audience, we're, we're, we're loading all the episodes of the Jesus Society podcast onto YouTube and Odyssey. Um, and I think by the time this show goes live, they will all be there. That's my plan. Um, if, if this show is helpful for, to you, if, if, if it means something to you, if it's blessing you and, you and you feel like you'd like to help us out, we would, we would be grateful for that. Um, we don't expect anybody to do that if you don't want to. But please visit our Patreon page and you can, you can become a supporter of this show if, if you feel God's putting it on your heart to do. Um, thank you for listening. And remember... You are greatly, greatly loved. <laughs>